and welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. I'm your host today, Danielle, and with me today are my colleagues, Dixie Cochran. Hi. I like how you're like partially cash with being like, I'm Danielle, no last name, but then you put my last name on there, so I'm, I'm like more formal. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, we have with us a special guest today, M.K. Anderson. Hello. 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 And today, uh, we are talking about the editing process. So M.K. is our editing chief, chief of staff, Managing editor. Managing editor? Managing. I don't know. What is your title? Do you have a title? <laughs> I am the managing editor. Managing editor. Danielle, yeah. you I, did so much research before this episode. I did. Uh, <laughs> I, I came in like a newborn. So, oh, sorry. Also, I have a cat who is trying to step on my hand. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> off to a great start. Off to a great start. Off to a great start. Yes. <laughs> welcome to the Honest Cat Path. The, the um, Honest Cat Path? Honest <laughs> Cat Path is what you just said. <laughs> yes. That is. What's, yes. That I stand like, by what I've said. That sounds like some kind of teachings of a monk in Monarchies of Mao, the like honest cat bath. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We have to, we have to tell, we have to tell Eddie. <laughs> I'll talk to Lauren, good. who's developing the Monarchies of Mao book. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, if any cat is going to be having an ancient monk style, it will be my 18 year old cat so that's that's what's going on right now uh so yeah anyway we're going to talk about editing i know very little about the editing process uh and by that i mean i try to do as much editing as possible as a developer before mm -hmm. i send a book off to editing and it always comes back with like shit i didn't even know was a thing <laughs> that's that's the job yeah, that is the entire job description. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it it really is our job to be nitpicky, um, which is people ask all the time if I'm like weird about grammar outside of it. I used to be. I used to be one of those obnoxious people who was like, speak English properly. And then I realized that was classist and ableist. Um, and now I'm like, if you pay me, I'll tell you how to write your English properly. If you don't pay me, I don't care. Um, so, if, you know, your comments on discords, whatever. I don't give a shit. But yeah, like it's it, it's our job to be nitpicky and to know random stuff, like the difference between when you use that and when you use which, which is yep. a different rule in British English and American English. Yeah, uh, I literally just left a note where somebody said something encompassed a spectrum, and I went, mm, "A spectrum is 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 along a linear axis, so it's not encompassed." And then I mm -hmm. also I let a note saying, uh, "Nobody cares about this." <laughs> but editors basically like please don't please don't think i care about this outside of editing yeah yeah definitely like we want to make the words as perfect as possible but also in our day-to-day -day lives i would be more stressed than i already am all the time if right. i tried to care while i looked at like social media yes yeah um it is funny because you say that and I, my friends will often make fun of me when I misspeak or misspell things or just say gobbledygook or type gobbledygook. And they'll be like, oh, Danielle, aren't you a writer? And I'll be like, you're not paying me for these words. You're just getting whatever crap comes out of my head. Sorry. Also, sometimes you get honest cat path out of that. And that's great. Uh, yes. Uh, that, that, that might be the title of the episode. 
Honest cat path. Yes. <laughs> Walking the honest cat path with MK Anderson. Yes. That's right. See, like, I think an interesting thing, like, you didn't know my title. I'm the managing editor. Dixie was the editor-in-chief. And that's like a standard, uh, those are both standard titles. And the difference is Dixie had more creative control than I do. Mm. That uh, That's a, my brain lost it. It's gone. <laughs> Go Ooh. for it. That's okay. I uh, yeah, I've I've moved to a little bit more behind the scenes, picking up stuff as needed role as some of our fans might have realized. Um, it doesn't mean that like I'm on the outs. It doesn't mean anything drastic has happened. Uh, I'm doing some layout now. I'm doing a little bit of art, which is totally weird but fun. I'm doing some writing still, and I'm still doing a fair amount of editing um, here and there. So it just kind of depends on where they need me, uh, and that's just partially because my personal mental illness, neurodivergencies that I talked about many times on here, uh, make me really bad at managing people. That's that's something that I'm not good at. Um, that's okay. It's not in my skill set. And that's, you know, that that is what it is. And I think that it makes sense for people to find roles that work with their skill sets rather than, like, you know, hitting the whole, like, Peter Principal business concept of getting promoted to a place where you're just not as good at your job as you could be. So yeah. Absolutely. So that's that's what's happening with that. So no one think there's like beef or anything weird happening. Just want to throw that out into the ether. Yeah, absolutely. And and I've done I I can do creative stuff. I do a lot of writing. Been a writer for about ten, I think almost 10 years now. And the way I got into editing was about a year ago. I was uh delivering groceries and I had been networking so long as a writer that I knew the former the former editor I think for I forget the name of it but it's Clark's World for Clark's World which is a, a big uh, sci-fi magazine and he said let me send you an editing test uh, for my day job and I aced that and I went well crap now I have to learn about this a little more so I went and took a couple of courses on just the finer stuff, which I'd already mostly absorbed. I'm, I'm a pretty precise writer. So I, I uh, learned about like specific kinds of clauses that require commas, just stuff like that. And from there, I've edited about a million words a little over in a year. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, which is, which is, uh, so I've gotten more work because I'm very fast. Mm -hmm. And I'm very fast because I've done all that writing. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So the, the skills sort of built on each other. And then I ended up having some um, managerial experience from previous jobs outside the industry. I used to be an auditor, uh, which is uh, people think that's always like tax stuff. But I was more of a process auditor. So I go into businesses and tell them how to run it <laughs> mm -hmm. sometimes with a team. So that's sort of how I cobbled together the skill set. Yeah. I mean, I've, I, I talked about my past of the industry a little bit on here before, uh, but it's been a long time. So I, I kind of knew I wanted to edit books uh, when I was in my, I guess, early twenties. And it was because I would read these like New York times bestsellers and find freaking typos in them. And I was like, well, if I can notice that, <laughs> come on. Um, so when I was in college, which I did start late, I didn't go to college until I was in my mid-20s, I ended up being the copy editor for our, uh, oh, 
actually very nice award-winning school newspaper. Uh, so I worked there the whole time I was in college, uh, which meant every two weeks I had a weekend where I spent the entire weekend at the newspaper office getting the paper to press. Um, and wrote a fair amount of articles for that, too. So I, I have a journalism background, which, of course, has a very specific style guide in the AP style guide, which also has lots of things I don't agree with in it. Um, yeah, it's controversial one. Yes, I have, I, I have since luckily been able to switch over to using Chicago. Uh, although the AP style guide comes in handy if people ever put a news article into a role-playing game book, like a fictional news article. I can actually edit it as if it were a news article, which is kind right. of fun. Uh, but, but yeah, so I started doing this, uh, for, with, with Onyx Path in 2015, uh, and been doing it ever since. I, I, at one point calculated, and I've not done it in a while, but not, not nearly as, a, as, as impressive as a million words in a, in, in a year, but over the past, uh, what, eight years now? I, I've edited probably three or four million words at this point for Onyx Path. Um, I, it would take me a long time to calculate everything, but it's 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 a lot. That's a lot, uh, yeah. And yeah, I I am also fairly quick, but with me once again with my ADHD and stuff, the hardest part for me is always just getting started. And once yeah, I start a project, I can bust through it, and I'm very excited to do so. Like I had so much fun working on Zadarials recently. It was it was really great. I love working on Exalted. Yeah, and you did you did a great job on that. Oh, <laughs> thanks. As, 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 the managing editor. Thanks. <laughs> um, I'll occasionally take on a core book or a source book. I, I usually do the smaller projects, but if if a book needs closer to uh, a line edit, and that's that's like a technical editing term, if it needs mm -hmm. closer to a line edit on some things, um, a lot of what we hire out or contract for is, I in in my opinion, closer to copy editing. Yep. And I'm not in. in I'm not necessarily like comfortable asking copy editors to do line edits because they'll just say no. <laughs> mm -hmm. just say, I'm not going to do that. So that's sort of when I take on a larger project is is um, it's like we're going to move we're going to do just a little bit more than than moving commas around. Yeah, the RPG industry is a little weird in our titles for various things, because they're all cobbled together yes. from a mixture of the video game industry and the publishing industry, and none of yeah. them quite mean the same thing as they do in other industries. Like, an editor at HarperCollins is a completely different job from an editor at Onyx Path. Oh, yeah, yes, absolutely. absolutely. And, like, I consider my like, I have, I, I have been a copy editor, a line editor, and a developmental editor for Onyx Path at different points, right. depending on what was needed for the project. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just kind of I mean, I think I think MK and I are the two main people who kind of fall into all three of those buckets who who edit for us. Uh but most of the time when you see editors on role playing games, they are copy editing. They're checking yes. the English, making sure it works. Uh they're not checking mechanics usually because that's supposed to be the developer's job. Yes. Yes. Uh I know a lot of folks will find a mechanic that's maybe a little flawed and be like, Oh, who edited this? And I'm like, I don't know. I I, I read the numbers. I didn't do the math. Mm -hmm. The developer edited it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and to a certain extent, like at least while I'm learning lore, to a certain extent the developer needs to take on lore. Yes. But not hundred mm -hmm. percent. Like uh like uh if if a culture needs a definite definite article um, I could go back and comb through like five or six books to find that. Mm -hmm. But if it arrives on my doorstep without it, 
I go, well, the developer knows more than me. <laughs> oh my at God. Least at this point. The, the first Exalted book I ever worked on was The Realm. Um, and that was when I was still under Rose Bailey. So it was before 2018, right? And it's it's a, a a setting book about the realm, which is kind of one of the central places in creation and exalted. Uh, and this was before I was the exalted lead dev. This was before I did SS for any of that. And I remember the feedback that I got back from I think Eric Mitten was she's a really good editor. She she does not know exalted because <laughs> I had been making like changes and suggestions that if I had known exalted were silly, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so now, coming to something like Siderials or Essence, knowing Exalted is much easier because I know which terms need to be capitalized. I know like kind of how the writing feels in Exalted because it's a very different writing style than most of our games. Yes. But man, it was helpful to have those years of being the Exalted lead <laughs> before I edited another core book because, yeah, uh, there are a lot of terms I did not know. Yeah. And, and I, I definitely taken a look at, at a couple of the, the novellas that uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about the novellas. Oh, we can talk about the novellas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They've all been announced. Good. Uh, a couple of the novellas and it's definitely as an editor, it's not your job to go to change it to your style, which I think is a, a problem that a lot of beginning editors have is that they confuse mm -hmm. something that's in a different style than they would write, even if it's one I appreciate, I appreciate the style. Um, but we have to be really careful not to change it to sound like us. We have to figure out how does this person sound? Yeah. And uh, sort of sharpen that. And sometimes I'll make changes to make it sound more like themselves, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That's that's always a weird thing. It's like I think you would use a different word right here. <laughs> right. Uh, that's also the difference between fiction and working on an RPG book is that in like an RPG manual, you want it to sound kind of like nobody. Like the like game line is the voice, not a right. person. Right. Right. Uh, I uh, I was talking to, to Matthew the other day about um, how a lot of his projects develop a very specific voice to the book like for example uh they came from beyond, beyond the grave sounds different than they came from beneath the sea uh mm. like that those are two different voices and so you have to figure out as an editor and you you may or may not write this down you have to figure out what does this sound like uh like they came from beyond the grave i think of it as like vincent price it's vincent mm -hmm. price reading it out yeah mm -hmm. And uh, with they came from beneath the sea. I always think of like Red Zone Cuba, like the MST3K bad movie, like that kind of 1950s where, where they used to call robots robots. Yep. That kind of thing. Yeah. Which is a word that I still use all the time. And people are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, robots. 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 Robot. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I did the I did the ash can for the world below and. Uh, the world below is so interesting because it's so it's epistolary almost mm -hmm. parts of it, mm -hmm. and so every different speaker has a different voice. Yes, and so you have to sit down and figure out uh, what are the rules here. Yeah, you get that a fair amount in Pugmire too, because one of the conceits of Pugmire is that there are different character sidebars to give you certain information. 
And so having to write a side, like whenever you write a sidebar in Pugmire, it's it's a voice sidebar. And knowing how to write as, you know, Pixie or Yosha or whoever mm-hmm. is a talent that you need to kind of like work on. And there, 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 there have been times I've been editing a Pugmire book and have kind of gone like, I don't think Yosha would say that. Like she's like 16. She's, you know, mm-hmm. very excited and, and a little naive, but not, you know, silly. Um, and I just don't think she would say that. Let's let's word it this way. Or I don't think that Fabian von Sphinx would say it this way. And you get that from knowing the characters, right? Like, if you mm. read any fiction, and a character that you've known for a while says something that's just completely out of character, it drops you out of the story. Yeah. And it's the same way with these kind of voices. If you're writing, let's say, Trinity, uh, which, which tends to be not dry, but very, like, straightforward, is what I would say. It's very straightforward writing. Like, here are the things, here is what's happening. Um, I often equate RPG writing to, like, textbook writing, because you're trying to present ideas in a way that makes sense for people to understand them. Right, technical mm-hmm. writing. Yes. And, like, if suddenly somebody writes a sentence that's full of, like, exclamation points and talking directly to the viewer or to the reader, that that's jarring. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, uh, like, a mechanical concern, I'm more likely to leave quote-unquote ungrammatical type uh, commas in uh, mm-hmm. technical writing because they're needed for clarity. Yep. So, like, sometimes... Sometimes people will remove them and I'll have to look at it and say, does it make more sense with the comma? Because that's always the overriding rule of the comma. Uh, and one you've got to use sparingly is if it makes more sense with the comma, leave the comma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, the rules end up being, I, I, I don't know how to put it. Like people want the things to be rules black are made up. The rules are made up and the points the don't matter. <laughs> exactly. We're like guidelines. Yeah, like especially with commas, like sometimes the rule is do this, this, and this, and then unless it's ugly and that's too many commas, then remove mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it's like what? <laughs> yeah, my like, my comma editing is largely based on vibes. Um, yeah. Yeah. just like every other word will be like, should this be a comma? And I'll put a comma there, and I'll be like, no, it looks stupid, and I'll get rid of it. Or, you know, mm-hmm. no, that makes the sentence flow off. Or sometimes I will, you know, leave in a comma, even though it shouldn't be there, because it makes sense in my brain if I'm speaking it to put a slight pause there. That's the only reason. Yeah, I'm a big stickler for, except for when it's really short, comma splices. I do not like comma splices. I don't like, uh, if there's a coordinating conjunction uh, and two independent clauses, I want a comma there. Like, those are my two mm-hmm. things that I've gotten real at. Ed- editory about <laughs> also also if then statements yeah. even if it's not worded yeah. as an if then statement mm-hmm. i'm still like no put it put a comma there please i need yes, it exactly or but also but yeah like i think one of the other rules that i tend to ignore more often than not in a lot of uh reading or editing these these books is the whole like never end a sentence on a preposition thing because everyone mm-hmm. talks that way and mm, so yes. it sounds clunky. Like so, sometimes I will change it around if it honestly sounds better. But half the time it sounds fine to most people's yeah. ears, mm-hmm. and so I just leave it. Yeah, I've started like if it's a Matthew project, I'll sort of move around prepositions because I think of it as part of his voice. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't like it ending preposition uh, sentences with prepositions. So I'll be more of a stickler with him on those projects than I will anywhere else because that's just what he sounds like. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. 
Well, yeah, no, like that, 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 that goes back to knowing your client's voice, right? Yeah. So I do have a little bit of question on the process. I know these answers, but our listeners may not. So process do you go through when you are sent a book to be edited as the editing manager? I'll open it up and see what it needs. If it needs more of a line edit, I might do a pass uh, on a chapter or two, but usually that's not the case. Um, I'll decide if I'm going to take it or if someone else is going to take it. Uh, if somebody else is going, going to take it, I look at who's available. Because mm -hmm. a lot of my editors, my freelancers, uh, are already tied up with another book. And I'll see if the available editors, if their skills match what I'm looking for. Uh, if nobody's available who's done like Exalted before, I'll wait for the uh, person who, who knows more about Exalted, like Dixie, uh, to become available. But I try and know what's coming so I can time it. Right. Then I'll contract out with the uh, with the freelancer and I'll wait because at that point the freelancer uh, because they're a freelancer you just sort of evaluate what they hand you I, I don't closely manage them mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, I'll go through I'll probably do a proofread I'll send a payment and then send it on to the developer my understanding is the developer accepts the changes, might make uh, gross changes, but if, if they do that, they send it back to me to, to re-edit. Mm -hmm. And then it goes to layout. Okay. Or Chaney Mancy, as I think we called it earlier. Chaney Mancy. <laughs> Chaney Mancy. <laughs> after that, uh, eventually it comes back uh, through proofing. I look at, at the proof, which is like, how does it look laid out? Is everything bolded correctly? Does the art, is the art in the right place? Like I'm a final set of eyes on that. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it goes through two rounds of proofs before it goes out to people listening for errata collection. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we get errata back. And sometimes it's only like a comma or two. Sometimes we didn't capitalize something. And sometimes uh, it's a little bit more extensive, especially if it's something that people are really passionate about, like mage, where there's oh, yeah. so much lore. Mm -hmm. There's so much lore. There's there's 30 years of lore. And somebody will say, this this just isn't consistent with what we said 20 years ago. Right. And uh, we'll make the change. And I just say that I can't be held responsible for things that I said when I was 18 years old. <laughs> right? <Correct. laughs> very, Correct. very glad we didn't have social media then. Same. Yes. <laughs> I was on the internet at, at a really young age. Like, I was on Usenet. Same. Mm -hmm. was, oh my goodness! <laughs> my so there's, goodness. There's, yeah, there's something like I'm. I'm about. I'm, I'm about Dixie's age, I think. I think but we're all, about, was, we're all like, of, of similar age. Yeah, yeah. So elder millennials. I was yes. Mm. I was ten, twelve years old, like typing away <laughs> on on a mailing list. Oh, very good. Yeah, it was an AOL chat room and multi mush kind of girl. So. Uh, M-I-R-C. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Been online for a long time. <laughs> and writing, I suppose, for a long time. Like It was more of a long-form writing yep. uh, mm -hmm. format. But yeah, like the, the process for farming out a book and the process for how you actually edit a book are different. And I'm interested to hear what your process is like. I mean, yes, there's the basic, of course, you open every file and you read it, right? 
That's right. what every editor yeah. does. But I know that I have certain little things I do and little weird tricks and things I do. And I wonder what your process is like when you personally edit something. So what I personally do is I turn on track changes and then I look at like the simple version. Like I know this is getting down to the, the inside baseball stuff. Mm -hmm. sure. I look at the, um, and I just read it and then I change it uh, without seeing what the previous version was. Like I, I do pretty well with this, you know, subject verb agreement. This doesn't agree. This doesn't flow. And, and I think my first concern is, do I like this? How does this make me feel? Like, cause I mm -hmm. think that's something, a, a brain space that you can get into that it's my job to change things. It's my job to rearrange chairs on the Titanic. That's my <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's just not it. If you read it and you go, I like this, you don't need to change it. Uh, it's not on the line level at least. Mm -hmm. And so I read through the entire document and if it hits for me, it's good. And if it doesn't, I go, why? Why isn't this working for me? Is the is the word choice slightly off? Is this a run-on sentence? Like just something like that. Mm -hmm. So I'll make those gross changes. And then after that, I'll go through one more time and look for um, any commas I didn't catch. Anything small and picky again in that simple mode because i don't want to be distracted by all of the changes i've made it has to stand on its own right that's really interesting because i i like seeing my my editing marks it makes me feel like i'm doing something you know so for me like as i go through i i i don't look at a simplified version i am looking at the version with my editing marks um i will only switch over if as as you said i need to like check a specific sentence and see how it flows now that i've changed it but when i'm like working Normally, I'm just in the, the normal word file, right? Like, yeah, I, especially because working with Onyx Path, we have what are called styles, uh, which mm -hmm. all of our writers and freelancers yeah. will, will be familiar with, but our listeners may not be. Um, and that's that um, every paragraph, every part of a book is in a specific style in Word. We have spe like specialized style templates that we use. Mm -hmm. uh, so most of the text you're going to see is in what we call in, which is normal text, essentially. Right. Um, sidebars are either SV1 or SV2. SV, like that, that's a whole rule that we deal with. Um, if there's a whole italicized section that is not like a quote that's in I for italics, bold sections are in B. We have a section for quotes. We have one for attributions. We have one for stat blocks. So like Making sure those styles are applied is so important. Yes. I have a I have a big wide curved monitor so that I can have the headings bar and the styles bar open on the left hand mm -hmm. side. While I also have the text pop up to like 140% while I'm editing so I can sit back in my chair and not squint. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like it is definitely a bit of a different look that I think some people would in, would an anticipate if you saw my screen while I'm editing. Because there's lots of little yeah. weird technical stuff around the edges that I'm constantly checking on. Yeah, and if I'm uh, doing something, like if, if I need to make a bunch of changes in errata, I mm -hmm. am beaming it to my television. I'm beaming one of the, the, like the PDF to my television and in copy on my first monitor, and I'm looking back and forth between the two. Yep. Like it's... Uh, Definitely Word is more powerful than um, I think a lot of people use. Like you don't have to worry about style templates. You don't have to worry about um, the nuances of uh, track changes. 
when you're just mm-hmm. writing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that word is more powerful than people get credit for also because word does, and I know that we've had this conversation before that word is sometimes wrong uh, about yes. like comma usage and some stuff, but word has a grammar checker and a passive voice checker and a slang word checker and a like a bunch of different checkers that you can turn on that will highlight while you're writing. And essentially like if you use a word that is maybe an insensitive slang word, it will be like, hey, maybe try using this other word instead. Mm-hmm. Um, if you use a word that is, uh, or you a turn of phrase that's a little clunky, it will suggest a fix for it. Um, you can have word do a lot of grammar checking while you're writing. Um, you can. S- sometimes it's wrong. I, <laughs> sometimes it, it doesn't know that every time you have a, a joiner word and an independent clause following it, you need a comma. Sometimes yeah. it's it's like, no, you don't need a comma there. I promise. Like you block. And it lies. <laughs> it lies. <laughs> and obviously it doesn't know game terms. So it doesn't know game no, terms. Yeah. Uh, but you can you can teach it your game, you can teach it your proper nouns. Um, so it will stop like spell checking them. You you can do a lot with word that a lot of other um, word processing things, you would essentially have to, I need to write this, but then I also need to port in Grammarly. I need to write in this, but then I also need to um, do uh, some other checker. Mm-hmm. That word will just do all of that automatically while you're writing. Yeah. For for tools like, as an editor, mm-hmm. for tools like Grammarly or for tools like the Microsoft Word Grammar Checker, it's not that I accept or reject those changes. I always do it manually. I use those kinds of tools when I use them to flag, look at this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then I make uh, a judgment call because it's it's wrong enough of the time for me that my end work product wouldn't be acceptable. Right. If I relied right. on it much. So, but I really appreciate it as something to draw my eye to something. Mm-hmm. I think of it as as it challenging what I'm yes. doing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and I love that. Um, honestly, I tell all of my writers to turn on the passive voice thing. Yes. Because there are times where passive voice, especially in like technical writing or um, mechanics writing, where mm-hmm. passive voice is just the best way to describe a thing. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so you can say like, yeah, yeah, word, I know that's passive, but really this is the best way to do it. But if you're writing fiction or you're writing setting material or prose or anything, and you've written something passive, having words say like, this is passive is really useful uh, because it, it doesn't always catch passive like sentences that have kind of some a hidden passive voice, what what I will call it hidden passive voice, where it's not super obvious, like this was done to this, like that super obvious passive voice. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some other more like w- w- kind of janky things that can happen. But I will tell authors like turn that on. 
your writing will get better because you'll have to analyze every time the the thing says, hey, this is passive. You will, you know, analyze it and say, do I need to rewrite this or not? And then the act of rewriting it will train you into just not writing it that way in the first place. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, the controversial opinion, I think passive voice is great sometimes because because like sometimes if you're writing a paragraph about a book you started off with the book was donated by an anonymous benefactor the subject of the paragraph is not it's a paragraph about a book so you make the book the subject of the sentence even though it's in passive right. voice so there are some people who who will say well you should just write a more interesting sentence it's like that sentence is fine it's a fine sentence. You don't need to get rid of it. But if you're if you're using it as a crutch and it's every uh, sentence, you definitely need to to rethink. Yeah, and that's that's the thing is, I think using it to know when. As I find this is true, especially in people who are learning to write to spec. Mm-hmm. We're learning to write just in general to where other people are reading it, where either they don't even know what passive voice is, or they know what passive voice is, but they don't know how to spot it very well. Mm-hmm. Right. And so being able to have this as like a tool to say like, this is, this is passive voice. This is what it looks like. This is, you know, whatever. And then to kind of learn from that and then say later, be like, well, no, the sentence is just fine. I don't need to fix it. Like, but until you know, like that subject agreement or what is the the true subject of the sentence, is this worth being passive to like emphasize one thing or another? I feel like that's a little more advanced. And that is where we want people to be, right? Is making those judgment calls so that the editor doesn't have to. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's a big thing is um, it's, it's always hard when something comes back a little rougher because uh, especially with run on sentences that just need to be broken out or need to be a little bit rewritten is I want to avoid that because I want, I want the writers to be the one who wrote it. Um, Like Mm. it can, it can even turn into like hurt feelings almost if, if you don't avoid it, you want to make sure that you're as invisible as possible. Yeah, you just want to make their their work a tiny bit better. You know, you don't right. want to be like I. There have been a couple of projects. I'm not going to call anything out by name uh, where I have had to rewrite whole paragraphs because they were just yeah. a li- they were just messy, right? For whatever reason, the the developer got rushed. Uh, somebody dropped the ball. Uh, there was a new writer who maybe didn't do as well and someone didn't catch it. Whatever, whatever reason, it happens. We're all human. Um, yes. There are definitely paragraphs in a couple of published books that I can look at and be like, technically I wrote that. But, uh, you yeah. know, whatever. <laughs> as yeah, a developer, it's, that's it's, extremely true. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's not a thing that happens very often. Mm-hmm. Um I, I I know it happened a little bit more often when I was freelancing under Rose because Rose was doing the job of three people, as we know yeah. now. Uh, <laughs> so I think that, you know, some, some stuff just got slipped. But I was happy to do it. I'm still happy to do it if it happens. But mm-hmm. generally, the things that I've edited in the past, you know, a c- couple years here 
Um, and of course, a couple things I've seen under MK so far are things that did not need nearly that much work, obviously, right. uh, because they would have been sent back to the developer, frankly. Yep. Yeah, it's yeah, I think it's important to maintain those boundaries. And like I say, not just because I don't want to send copy editors line edits, I don't want to be the person rewriting this. But yeah, just in terms of like making sure everybody feels good about their work, making sure that I'm not taking on uh, 80 hours worth of work because I have to rewrite this and this is, that's just more laborious. Right. Uh, it's important to maintain that delineation between technically the developer is supposed to be doing both a developmental edit and a little bit of a line edit. Right. And then I, uh, because we only, that, that's another interesting thing about our process. But a lot of publishing companies in other parts of publishing, there are multiple layers of edits. And in ours, technically we have about two. We have red lines and then we have us. Mm -hmm. And usually there's one more layer. So um, it's just it's just a different industry. We are smaller. Yep. We, you know, just money terms, we can't necessarily afford a proofreader on top right. of everything else. So everybody has to do a little bit more. Right. Um, yeah. And the developers do, well, the developers do a red line pass, the authors rewrite, and then the developer does another pass. And in that pass, hopefully at that point, there might be like, oh, I'm catching some editing mistakes or I may need to rewrite a sentence because like you said, it's, oh, it was run on or I need, you know, it doesn't jive quite right. Um, hopefully at that point, I am not doing a lot of that. Um, but sometimes, as you said, like it's a little rougher or, uh, I mean, there's definitely been cases where something will go to approvals. And it's not such a big change that I need to ask the author to rewrite it, but it is a big enough change to where I'm rewriting a paragraph here or there. So yeah. there does, you know, there is the developer kind of does a little bit of rewrites and then it goes to editing and then the, that goes. And then, but yeah, we don't see nearly as much back and forth between the developer and the writer as many other industries. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, uh, in other industries, uh, the writer and what would usually be like the developmental editor, mm -hmm. they go back and forth on that thing four or five times. <laughs> oh, easily, yeah. easily. Uh, I've I've got a um, I've got an agent. Like I'm a writer. I've got an agent, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we've taken a book to Edboard before. Like we've gotten all the way up there. Haven't put a book out yet, but we. But before we took it there, seven rounds of edits. Yes, seven. And that's, I'm to, uh, yeah. Oh, no, no. I'm trying to think. So I write, I wrote a choice of games novel and they have in-house developers or developer slash editor uh, who you work with when you're writing for them. And the way that that worked was I would write a couple of chapters and I would send it over to the editor and then the editor would make comments and notes and, you know, check things or whatever. And then it would come back to me. I would rewrite. It would go back to the editor. Um, they would either say like, yes, you've accepted, you know, you've done all the changes I needed you to do that. We don't need to do any more rewrites. And then I would move on to the next chapter. And we did this for 
like every like sometimes it would just be one chapter because the later you get in a choice of games book the the longer the chapters get in the writing process because there's so many different options that could have happened earlier in the book that you need to account oh, yeah. for um mm -hmm. and it is it is ridiculous like the level of back and forth and then the whole book is done and then it goes back to the editor and they do like an editing pass again to bring all those chapters, like make sure that they all kind of read similarly. And there's a bunch of back and forth. And I had only ever written two other things before uh, game books, which have like a single editing pass and my master's thesis, which had like, I don't know, 15 million editing passes with my professor. <laughs> I was like, so it was interesting to see a different side of an industry. Yeah, and those those uh, text adventure games, I, I know Choice of Games, that's what they do, text mm -hmm. adventure. They are so many words. They can be like half yes. a million words. It, I, I'm pretty sure I wrote a, about a million words for that. That's that's the same amount of words in Disco Elysium. Jesus. It, it, yeah. It's a, it, it is three novels in one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like how many did you say a million words or so? I, I, I don't know if it was a million, but it was, it was a, yes, it was very close to that. Yeah. That's, that's 10 long novels. Yeah. If it's a million words, it's, it's games writing is wild for, it how, is wild <laughs> for how many words. Um, like video games writing many yeah. many words and even even our core books like um if you pick up a mystery novel mm -hmm. 40 to 60k words yes and then our books are often um like witchford academy it's about 100k and that's that's yeah. even a core book that's a supplement yep that's 150 a supplement. Oh, exactly. yeah 150 to 200k for a core book up to 300 yeah. if you're Wraith 20, Changeling 20. Exalted and other edition. <laughs> Exalted think, and Mage 20 Mage... are closer to 400k. 400? Yeah. That is. I know that the... Changeling and Wraith were 300k each because I fucking edited them. <laughs> yeah. There, that is. Forever. Um, like coming from, a, from other publishing, that is, if I tell people that, they will look at me. <laughs> right? They will look at <laughs> just just what are you talking about? It's it's really funny too because like I I have not done much traditional publishing stuff. Um, I've you know it. I'm I'm not opposed to getting into that, but a lot of times people are you know part of a publishing house, and that's how you get those jobs. They mm -hmm. don't have quite mm -hmm. as much room for like freelance folks in there. And there's a lot of competition, yeah. so it's just not a field that I've really broken into. But I can just imagine telling people like. Oh yeah, I've done you know 300k on a six week turnaround, so I could probably get you. And them just looking at me like, "You've done what now?" Like that's yeah, that's and I, I was doing that like that was before I was on full time here. Um, so I was doing that while also working two jobs, like two actual you know go to work jobs. So that was a a, a time in my life when uh, <laughs> I was I was yeah. very busy. Mm -hmm. I'm yeah, I'm I'm pretty like busy myself it's just like i'm not complaining at all it's just ttrpg mm -hmm. um publishing you, you need a second job you just do 
that's most TTRPG uh, work. That's it, it. Yes, the the margins are so thin. All of our listeners know. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's got a second job, so I've got a second. I've got like, I've got like three, four jobs. <laughs> uh, like I, I write occasionally. I, I sometimes I freelance write for you guys. Sometimes I yep. freelance write for other people. Uh, I edit light novels. Um, that's the other thing I do for for money. And then I've got a Patreon where I, I release essays, and then sometimes I do YouTube videos, which doesn't pay much, but you know, you get a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. every quarter and that's not nothing so yep. it's it's hard it's the hustle lot. is hard it's it is and yeah you you have to you have to work more than you think you do because work leads to other work yep well yeah that's 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 something that we always talk about on here is like the amount of if you actually read the credits of all the rpg books you have in your collection for anybody out there um especially if they're not all onyx path you will still see a lot of familiar names popping up here and there and everywhere uh because a lot of us know each other it's not a very big industry it's smaller than you think i can tell you that much Mm -hmm. um and also not as much now uh you know with the pandemic but pre-2020 you know a lot of us would go to gen con and pax unplugged and stuff like that and that's where we exchanged cards and networked and met new people and you know tried to find work like i all of my work for Fantasy Flight that I did is a direct result of a Gen Con meeting. That's That's been hard for me because I, I'm just coming into the industry and that's mm-hmm. gone. It's just yep. gone now. Yeah. Um, like, I, I I sort of went, so when's the next time Onyx Path saw meeting? And <laughs> people were like, uh... Ha! Ha! We haven't <laughs> all met in person since January 2020 was our last uh, summit that was in person. Um, yeah, and I, at I, I don't know if it's going to happen again. I don't know if it's ever going to happen again. And that, that, I mean, that's just a different thing for somebody who's just breaking in. It's like yep. the pandemic sort of removed key things that made the industry work. And I'm not sure they've come back. Yeah. And now that Twitter is in the end times, a lot of people are having issues with that too. Yeah. Okay. But I'm going to, I'm going to, Navigate us away from existential dread about the industry. Oh, why? <laughs> That's great. Awesome. Because it's making me sad. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. No, we it's are okay. recording this. A lot of our friends are at Gen Con. So. I know. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, yeah. I, I'm having a little FOMO about Gen Con right now, too. Right? Were you talking that's, about that's, that? That's where I first met you, Danielle. Yeah. We were at the tapas. It was delicious. Right. It was delicious and amazing. Um, yeah. So, um, more about editing. I know we're we're kind of running close to end of time. Mm-hmm. So biggest pet peeves. Yeah, actually, I was going to ask all editors have lists of this. What is your what is your number one like if you could teach every writer to stop doing this thing so you never had to see it again, what would it be? Uh I want people to do, put commas between independent clauses that use a coordinating <laughs> conjunction. That um not because it's it's like the worst thing ever, but because if if people don't know how to do it, then that error is going to be twice a paragraph. Yeah. Yeah. So it it'll that if if I could teach every writer to do that, that saves me a, a thousand keystrokes in a in a document. I have a bunch of little like bugbears in my brain. One of them <laughs> is the aforementioned that versus switch. Mm-hmm. Uh, in English, you use them for different reasons. 
Uh, a lot of times people say that when they mean which, and a lot of times, especially if they are British or European, they say which when they mean that, and it frustrates me to no end. Um, another big one, just because I was thinking about this just the other day because of a thing I was working on, uh, the word linchpin does not have a Y in it. Yeah. It's it's L-I-N-C-H-P-I-N. <laughs> And the amount of times that I see that spelled like lynch, like lynching, I'm like, no, that's not what it is. Yeah. Where it's from. That's not the etymology of the word. Uh, people that put of after myriad, like myriad means a lot of. So you have myriad ideas. You don't have a myriad of ideas. Oh, man, that's a turn of phrase issue. Yeah. Like I said, uh, the, oh, God, the difference between comprise and compose that has yes. always driven me up a wall. So yeah, there's like little things that when you see them enough, you're just like, come on, learn this. Uh, one of my other biggest pet peeves just in general, and you, you see this a fair amount in certain game lines, especially ones that use a uh, very specific language, is overusing your $5 SAT words, right? Oh man, yes. Like you have yeah. this word and you like this word and it's great, but I've gotten to a point where I keep tally marks when I'm working on Exalted for the word puissant. Because <laughs> uh, Exalted writers love to say puissant instead of powerful. Yes. I, I have been. It, I have it's so funny. Puissant. I have, I have noticed puissant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, think, I, think, I think it was 14 or 15 counts in Sidereals. The, the need to use this word is puissant. Is puissant. <laughs> So uh, that's another one. That's a, that, yeah, that's another. Uh, in fact, it's a, a monarchy's of sound. <laughs> so yeah, my word recently, Poussanted boots. Yes, my word <laughs> recently that I have discovered that I'm tired of is the word extant, mm. and I have seen it used incorrectly so often that I'm like, strike it from your vocabulary. It's a cool word. I love saying it. I love writing it. it but it means like remaining, surviving. It, it, is, it is not the end of, it is not, you know, also around. It, it, it means that it is like something that still survives mm -hmm. after everything else is gone. And I have seen it used incorrectly in so many places that I'm just like, stop it, stop it, stop ever using that word again. <laughs> You're not allowed. <laughs> Learn what it means. I am also an advocate for the humble semicolon. Um, yes. I think too yeah. many people want to use an M dash or a certain new sentence when a semicolon would make more sense. Uh, I do yeah. own an entire book about the semicolon. I think it is a wonderful piece of punctuation. I am coming around on the semicolon. I used to hate it. But now I'm, I'm finding myself adding it to sentences where a comma wasn't really doing the job um, or, or that a period wasn't really doing the job because yes. I really wanted these two sentences. Essentially, I wanted this connected you thought. You wanted to be friends. Yeah, I wanted this connected yeah. thought to follow this other thought in such a way that it wasn't its own sentence, but literally it is its own sentence. And you know what? It, it deserves a semicolon. Right? Yeah, and I'll, I'll use an M dash when there's like a huge contrast between the two. I think mm -hmm. that's where mm -hmm. I'll use it. But otherwise, I, I usually want a semicolon there. Yes. Yeah. I agree with you. I like using uh, the double M dash to offset a thought. Yes. Like that's, I think that 
is better sometimes than parentheses, depending on what you're writing, obviously. Or commas, but, because yeah. commas can get like really metally in a sentence. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I, I, um, I, I am a semicolon advocate, is all I'm saying. I love them. Yeah. There's, there's certain things that um, I learned from another editor. He calls it throat clearing, where mm. people will say, um, gosh, they, they won't use the verb. They'll use a whole bunch of other words before they get to the verb, to the subject noun and verb. Just, he's like, just remove that. It doesn't add anything. Oh, uh, interesting. That Can you give an example? The existence of, like, like, this supports the existence of the idea of, you know, oh. uh, like that sort of, this supports the existence of the idea of religion or something like that. And it's like, oh man, I'm reading, I, I'm yeah. back in the, my science days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you have like, like me trying to that, pad out a paper for sociology. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, he, like, um, that was, that's Nick Mamatis who taught me that. That's, that's the guy who got me into editing. He, he would mark up my stuff and say, that's throat clearing. Get rid of that. Uh, uh, and I think that might be a him term. But mm. I, I think yeah, I've never heard it called that. But yeah, I'm also an advocate for a short, punchy sentence. Uh, that is one thing yes. that I definitely got like. So I, I, you know, was an English major um, and I turned in my first paper to my favorite English professor of all time. I uh, love him to death still. And the first thing he said to me was, you read a lot of 18th century literature, don't you? And I said, <laughs> yeah. And he's like, yeah, because all your sentences are like 35 words. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, well, because I, I, I did come from reading, like, that's a lot of the novels that I read were, like, 18th and 19th century lit. Um, and so he taught me a lot about, you know, sometimes a three-word sentence is the punch to the gut you need uh, to really Absolutely. drive a point home. And yeah. I've taken that into a lot of my my editing and my writing and knowing when to, like, let that hammer fall of the, you know short punchy sentence versus the long-winded overwrought sentence and sometimes you need the long-winded overwrought sentence like you do my writing yeah. for cavaliers of mars is full of that because oh, that's yeah. the tone of cavaliers right absolutely okay. so um we're running up on time so quick question uh what is your favorite piece of punctuation i love the m dash i do love the m dash dixie you know it might it might be the semicolon at this point uh, I used to also not really know how to use it or when to use it, mm -hmm. and now I'm such an advocate for it. And some 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 people overuse it, mm -hmm. which I also mm -hmm. don't like. Like I feel like the semicolon has its time and its place, and it's just there. It's, it's happy. It is it is almost a period, but not quite. You can keep going. Um, and obviously, like, it I, has its use in the tattoo world and symbolism for mental health, which I also enjoy. I I will say it's funny that all of all of punctuation is, or at least most of it, is about where to pause. Mm -hmm. And, I and, think that's and, a big and how long to pause. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like, that's a big part of what we do is, it's almost musical what we do, is we tell mm -hmm. people when to pause. We, 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 we do a lot of stuff with the rhythm of writing, and I really enjoy that. I, that's why I sort of like the M dash, because I like the space of a long pause. I like an abrupt change in the middle of a mm -hmm. sentence a mm -hmm. lot. So mm -hmm. that's, that's probably why I love that so much. You like Dickinson poems? That's where I got it. A hundred percent. I was, I was obsessed with her as at like, 
14 years old. So that is, you got, you got me. (laughs) In in my poetry class with that same English professor, he definitely came to at one point and was like, you like Dickinson, don't you? And I was like, leave my M dashes out of this. I, (laughs) I am, I am writing poetry and I'm going to pretty much try to write like Dickinson and Plath and you can't stop me because I am a weird goth chick. Um, and those are the two, like those influences and Neil Gaiman are the people I'm going to look to for poetry. Um, and Poe. My, uh, my favorite piece of punctuation is the exclamation point. Exclamation point. I mean, if, if, if you want to go esoteric, I do also love an interrobang. Those are really cool. (laughs) It's also just fun to say interrobang. Yeah. Uh, Exclamation marks are, in my opinion, very, uh, so they're so expressive. One, you don't Mm -hmm. use them very often, but when you do, it's like, bam. Also, Uh, you can just draw a face with two by it and, and you know, that 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 person is surprised. Yeah. That's right. Uh, (laughs) So I'm, uh, I'm a huge fan of that. And I, I love, I love using them in like science or like in adventure with an exclamation point. Um, it, it's very, they're fun. I feel like they make your, your sentence fun whenever you use it. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it also indicates that this person is screaming and I love being able to, <laughs> I love being able to infer like how a sentence is spoken yeah. by a piece of punctuation. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's punctuation's job, right? Yeah. Is yeah. to tell you how how I think it's being spoken. If you see a question mark, it goes up at the end, and they're asking you a question. If you see an exclamation mark, they are probably startled or surprised or angry or some other passionate emotion, right? Yeah. Like a lot of the time, it's even non-threatening. It's it's yeah. like in business it's like I'm being nice. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god, that is that is the one thing that I have noticed with millennials versus like Gen X or Boomers when it comes to business emails is that I'm constantly like. I want to put in happy exclamation marks so that you can tell that I'm talking to you like this. I'm a happy person. Here is my thing. Not mad about this at all. Just asking you a question. And then I'll get an email back from one of my older coworkers with just like, like just like just a thumbs up emoji. And I'm like, do you hate me? (laughs) Are you mad at me? What did I do? Or like sometimes I'll get an email back. That's just thanks in all lowercase with no punctuation. And I'm like, I have to remember that I'm talking to someone who is from a slightly different generation from me. And so I'm like, I'm like, they're not mad. They're not mad. They're just being efficient with their words. It's fine. It's fine. They're efficient with their words. You're not. Correct. Yeah, we are. We're, we're constantly like, <laughs> like how, how people have like made jokes about how all the best from a millennial mean just, just like they've done the translation. Back and right. Forth. Right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But we have to, we have to, like, eventually we're going to have to start going, mm, do do we sound passive aggressive sounding so cheerful? It's like, no, I'm non-threatening. I'm nice. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's like, I, you know, all, all the listeners know, I did 20 years in customer service work uh, mm-hmm. in, in various hospitality things. And then I also, like, am an neurodivergent. So for me, it's also just masking. Like, yeah, I'm like, this is how people talk, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Because my actual and, affect, if I'm not trying, is fairly flat. Yeah. And I think uh, femme people, mm-hmm. like, we, people interpret us, if we're not cheerful, as a little more hostile than men. Oh, yeah, no, so, I got, I, 
every job I've ever had in customer service, I have had colleagues at some point complain that I had like tone problems. And I'm always like, what are my tone problems? And they can't tell me. And I finally realized that it was just when I would like go back in the break room and stop masking for a hot second. And I was yeah. like, oh, you think that my flat affect or my like talking normally the way that i talk to most people like at my house is me being bitchy and i definitely never mean it that way i'm sorry but you know i can't do yeah, too much about it and over over uh when i write i i try and make a point to like talk to people once in a while like this like over voice because mm -hmm. i'm much warmer yeah uh, when i'm speaking but i can i can come across as really blunt I'm like, mm, no, same. change this. And, and yeah. And, yeah. and people are like, oh, why, why are you mad at me? And I'm like, I, 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 I'm not, I'm sorry. <laughs> just, just asking you to do a thing. That's not anger. Just a yeah, yeah. perfunctory statement. I will literally, and like, I, I've, I've, I sent an email like this to MK where I'm like, I have a question about something that you just told me, not trying to be argumentative. I'm literally just asking the question because yeah. I don't want people to think I'm trying to argue with them. Uh, because part of my neurodivergence is that I tend to ask for clarification on things a lot. Yeah. Because if I don't understand something, it's intensely frustrating to me. And so I have had many bosses over the years who thought that me asking for clarification was me like arguing with them about the thing they had told me to do. And I was like, no, I just yeah. want to know why. Like, that's that's all. Yeah. If you tell me why, then I'll be fine. Yeah, and sometimes sometimes I literally just need an informational thing. Like, when is this happening? And I don't mean I don't mean why isn't this happening? I'm not. I, I don't mean I need to know the root cause behind mm. all this. I mean I mean literally, what is the date? <laughs> right. All right. So uh, that is time. So, uh, MK, if people want to ask you questions about editing or engage with you about editing, where can they do that? Uh, I think related to um, Onyx Path editing, I'm I'm on the server. I, I, I'll check uh, the Onyx Pathcast server. Don't ping me, but <laughs> but I'll check. Don't ping the, the pathcast. I don't ping the staff, but I'll I'll check that discord uh for a while and i'll i'll see what people have to ask you can also um i'm at these underscore qualia on twitter you can at me there that, that doesn't bother me and if you want to go watch my youtube videos just as as like my other work uh i'm at qualia redux uh no space on youtube all right and dixie where can people find you yeah, you can find me anywhere that has at symbols at Dixie Cyanide. Uh, I'm on Blue Sky now. I deleted Twitter off my phone. Very proud of myself. Good. But also, <laughs> just talk to me in the Discord. That's that's where I like to be. Uh, and, you know, as we say all the time, and as is actually one of the rules, don't ping the staff. Yes. <laughs> I did finger guns after that, and then I realized it was an audio medium, and they were wasted, so I wanted to let you know that I did them. You, you go pew pew. Pew pew. <laughs> there you go. Wait, hold on. Is there a soundboard for that? No, there's not. Okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, I could add a sound. Anyway, um, not that Craig would pick it up. Anyway, so uh, you can find me also on the Onyx Path Discord, or you could find me at my website, daniellelozon.com. So that is it for our talk about editing for this uh, week. So as always, 
Uh, oh, what? Yeah, go down it. <laughs> go for it. Edit the ending. Yeah. Uh, if you want to find me and solicit me as an editor, I'm at mk-anderson.com. Oh, there you go. Perfect. Yes. Yeah, so as always, Mini Worlds, one path cast. <laughs>